The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi, I'm Rebecca Lowe, host of NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Plus, be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. So Lacazette, Bamiang, Ozil and Pepe all start again, just like they did for mm. Arsenal against Manchester United. From what you've seen of the team today, but also yeah. of the team under Arteta, what is his yeah. plan with how he wants Arsenal to look and play, Robbie? Well, he's got his four star players, four attacking players in the team, Rebecca. And at some point, you almost feel like at the top end of the pitch, Arsenal have got Champions League quality. And at the other end of the pitch, it was a bit almost like championship defensively. I think he's going to work on that balance. I think he's come into the football club and talked about bringing a new energy, a new freshness. Well, what does that mean? I think it's about consistency of performance, knowing what you're going to get, accountability to players. And one win in the last 10 away from home in all competitions is something that is Arsenal of the past. I think the Arsenal under Arteta will be giving performances that he'll know what he's going to get when he lets his players out of that dressing room before the ball's kicked. What do you like that he's changed? Well, I'll go even more simple than that. I like the fact that the team now is much more organised, it's much more compact, um, and, and the, the spirit and the energy is a lot better. The effort is a lot better, Rebecca. And it, and it seems pretty simple, but all those players are working harder for him. He's got them at the moment with, with his training, maybe, how he spoke about his philosophy. The Arsenal players are in. And the fact that you can get these four players in... It's, it's more a smacks of good organised coaching. We, we've talked about Mesut Ozil, and he's frustrated us all, I think, sometimes with his performances. But I've always felt that there is a way of getting him into an Arsenal side that you can get the best out of him, and he doesn't become a liability at the moment because the, key, the team is so compact, he's playing better, and, he, and he's, in, he's in distance with other players so he can and win the ball back and help defensively. Arsenal now is so much better without the ball, uh, which has really happened. That's the main difference for me. We heard from Roy Hodgson there, bringing in Jenk Tosin until mm. the end of the season on loan from Everton because yeah. he brings goals. Yeah. A good acquisition for you? Absolutely. I think Roy's done a brilliant job over the time, Rebecca, with a Palace team that pretty much hasn't had a focal point, hasn't had a centre-forward who's regularly scored goals. Benteke and Wickham both injured and out, out of form. I mean, Jordan Ayew has been a bonus, his five goals, but Gent Tokerson just gives you that penalty box operator who might just get the goals with the likes of Zaha and, and Townsend and Meyer's ability to get balls in the box. So I think it's, it's a good signing for the second half of the season to come. Well, it's great to have the former Premier League referee Mark Clattenburg in the studio with us all weekend. We can pick the brains. We're going to start, Mark, by asking you about that red card for Aubameyang. You said to us while we were watching the game that you felt in isolation that is a red card. However, we'll take another look at it. Was it a clear and obvious error by the referee to give a yellow? Robbie says it wasn't. What do you say? It depends where you set the bar. At the, bar, at the start of the season, the bar was set so high. And therefore, this wouldn't, have been, this wouldn't have been a red card early in the season. But it's leading to too many inconsistencies because one week this is given as a red card by the VR and some week it's not. Now, it took two minutes from the moment he was given a yellow card to the moment it was overturned. It took two minutes. You've got a couple of ideas of how you think this could be better handled, Mark. It's taken too long. Why, why is the referee waiting for the VAR who was in Stockley Park to be told two minutes later it's a red card? I think... It would reduce the dissent by the Arsenal players if the replay was shown immediately, not after the incident. So it was showed, as the referee goes to the, the pitch side monitor, you can watch it. To the fans, you mean, on the big screen? And also the screen, so the TV viewers and the people inside the stadium at the same time is getting the same footage that the referee's reviewing from the VAR. And that's the most important thing, and everybody can see the process, because at the moment, the referee's got his finger to his ear, waiting for an answer from Stockley Park, and this is where the inconsistencies lie, because one week it's a red card, yeah. two weeks ago it wasn't. 
We've yet to see a referee in the Premier League go over to a pitch side monitor, but that's what Mark is saying should have happened today to have speed, sped the process up. Robbie Earl, overall, away from the red card, they'll be disappointed, yeah. Arsenal. Their chances first half to be more than one up. Mikel Arteta will be striving for his team back and to put in a 90-minute performance. We've seen there'll be bits of the performance that you really like, certainly in the first half, and there'll be bits that, that will, will worry him in some respect. Remember Chelsea, they were dominated game, bad 10 minutes. Leeds last weekend, bad first half, good second. Today, we're really good in the first half and then got into a street fight in the second half and came out second. Your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, just a couple of moments. I mean, the goal they conceded was a little bit sloppy, a bit slow on the set piece to concede that the cross came in. They didn't deal with that. And then, you know, we talked about the red card. That affects the game. What I did like from Arteta, that he made a substitution straight away. Ozil off, Martinelli on and still tried to win the game. And, you know, a great save from Guaita. They could have picked up three points. So, not ideal, of course, but still positive, I think, for the Arsenal fans. A point, is that good enough with 10 men? You'd be happy with that? In the end, uh, if you play with 10 men, yes. But uh, if, we, if we watch all the game again, uh, we are disappointed because uh, I think that uh, we play much better than them. And uh, we had also the chance to, to win this game. Mikael, what's your verdict on that result? It's very different first and second half. Yes, I think... Uh, the first 35 minutes, I think, is exactly what I want from our Arsenal team to play. Like um, We were at it. We were very dominant. We controlled the game. And we were in the right position. We created chances. We were so good in the transition. We were aggressive. After that, we had 10 minutes to spare where we started to give some free kicks away. And, and obviously, they put everybody in the box and it's more a stop and start. But I was really pleased with the first half. Then the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half, Again, credit to them as well because they pushed, uh, started to put balls in the box, they started to throw men up front and uh, we had more difficulties. Um, we considered the goal where we switched off completely and it's unacceptable and I'm really upset with that. But I think after that, again, we reacted uh, very well after considering the goal and after Oba's uh, red cards, we were the team that I expected because everybody was at it again. What did you make of that red card and the VAR verdict? I haven't seen it, but uh, for what I've said, uh, I think it was a, a harsh challenge. Obviously, knowing Nova, there is no intention at all to do it, but maybe he, he mistimed it. And of course, he gets, he'll get a three-game ban by that. I don't know. Let's see what the decision is. Well, a three-game ban at the moment is what he will get for serious foul play in that red card. Robbie Moss, so listening to him there, what mm. do you think he's most frustrated about with this Arsenal team he's inherited? Well, I think the second half and the way... I mean, he says that the first 30 minutes is what he wants his Arsenal team to play. And yeah, lovely control. That was more about Palace being very passive and, and he liked that. He's got, to, he's got to get this team to be able to mix it a little bit. And Rob talked about it in, after the game. Like, sometimes it's going to be a battle, a fight. Sometimes you've got to stand up a little bit. Sometimes you've got to defend and get behind the ball. So that, that's things that he'll, he'll bring forward. But I think in general, it was still a decent performance from Arsenal. Rob? Yeah, decent performance, but as Robbie says, you, there used to be a thing with Arsenal where you used to think they were a bit soft. They go away from home and they're soft. They're, they're not that now, but I thought they got messed up. They got into a street fight that Palace wanted and they weren't good enough. I think under Arteta, they're going to have to learn to win different ways. Yes, when the football's good, we can play through teams and score, but if we have to grind it out and get a little bit down and dirty, they can do that as well. Robbie Musso, please find something else to say about mm. this quite majestic Liverpool team that you haven't said <laughs> wow. in the last 21 Well, that's days. a great question because in this 90 minutes, I think we've, we saw everything really about why it's a great team from brilliant interchange and attacking play in the first half through a second half performance that Spurs were, were really good, made them defend deeper. You saw Lalana coming back, Mane coming back to make tackles. So hard to play through yet... Spurs had a couple of opportunities. The Lo Celso chance mm. there is a real opportunity. So Liverpool were great, but not perfect. But I tell you what, they're so hard to play against. Your assessment, Rob? <laughs> Those numbers are ridiculous, Rebecca. And I know people won't believe it. I'm a little bit older than you two. And I remember the Liverpool of the 70s and 80s, which dominated football, which played at a level I thought, wow, you know... Many teams aren't going to be able to do that. Fergie's team have tried it. Mourinho's, Chelsea's team have tried it. Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, 100 points have tried it. This team, almost the numbers don't do them justice. As Robbie said, you've got to see them with your eyes. See Sadio Mane, see Mo Salah, see Roberto Firmino working hard in defending like they were, they were trialists, like they were young players in the team, not superstar players. That's the thing that they've got.
This week, Jurgen Klopp said, there's nothing special about me. I just know a little bit more about football than some other people. There is something very special about this manager. Yeah, and all that being said, you've got a manager on the sideline that's going crazy. And he's just, he just doesn't let him get away with anything. And I think that, as well as the individual stars and the great recruitment over a number of years, is the way this team has been built. It's a pretty special situation. You know what it takes. Have you played the champions elect today, do you think? Oh, I told that when I was working with you. I told that uh, when they beat uh, Man City three or four months ago that I told that. And uh, they are so, so good and so, so strong in, uh, in every area. In the top of that, uh, they are lucky because uh, they were lucky. Uh, they could perfectly concede, uh, concede a goal. They could perfectly finish the game with 10 because um, uh, the VAR at that time, they were having a tea and they didn't watch uh, uh, Robertson for a red card. Compare that with Son, when Son got a red card. Um, but I think fantastic experience for, uh, for the boys. And as I was saying to the boys um, inside, with what we have at the time, um, they gave absolutely everything. So sadness, yes, yes. But I told them, don't, don't hide at home. Go out, go to a restaurant, have a beer. You've steadfastly refused to be interested in any records coming up, or you've said, you've said, look, if they happen, it's as a consequence of us doing things right. Now that you have made the best start ever by any club ever in the top-level division in this country, what does that say to you? That's special. That's what I said. If it would be easy, then a lot more teams would have done it. It's really difficult to, to win the number of games, always to be ready to fight on your best day, on your worst day, on the average days, always that. That was the, what the boys do. That's why we are here. I'm really happy about it. The only problem is um, you don't get anything for best starts apart from numbers. And if people say in 50 years still was the best start, cool. Um, but the only thing what we are interested in is what, what we can get in the summer. And um, so that's not done yet because this league is so strong because we face so many strong opponents today, Tottenham, next week, United. So they fight for everything. And not only for that, and we are Liverpool, that's United, and Tottenham had a special story with us now uh, recently, and now United have it historically. So they go with all they have until the last second, and we have to be ready for that, and that's what we try. But how healthy is your position right now? 16 points ahead, game in hand. Yeah, and should he playing tomorrow, tonight? I'm not sure. Tomorrow. tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow. So, yeah, that's nothing. It's not interesting. It's really not interesting. In the moment when we have enough points and nobody can catch us anymore, then we start talking about it. Until then, I couldn't be less interested. We're interested. <laughs> Who's going to beat them? Well, it doesn't look like anybody can beat them at the moment. I mean, there's a lot more games to go. The Champions League is going to kick in February, March, April. I mean, it's so difficult, Rebecca. United, the next game, can beat them. At home, with the pace of the, the Rashford and Martial and Dan James and a few others have on a counter-attack. But we keep thinking this, Rob, mm. but the, the man we've just heard from there is such a driving force yeah. that it looks like nobody mm. will get in their way to, to win this title. In some respects, Rebecca, I think they can only beat themselves. And, and the problem, that if I'm the opposition, is... When you see this guy, he's not only changed the culture at football club, he's so demanding, he's relentless in the way that, that he runs his team, he demands from his players every moment of the game. He was on the touchline, we're watching him here, I'm going crazy during, during the game. He's turned this Liverpool football club in, from a cup team that could win European and domestic cups to the consistency of not only winning a title, but going to be winning a special title because it's going to have records attached to it, whether he likes it or not. They've broke one record today. How special a title will this be? Will they be invincible? Uh, I still think they'll lose a game. I'd love to say yes, but it's so difficult. Heart and romance, yes. We're going to start, Robbie Earl, mm. by asking you for whom, when you look at that bottom half of the table, yeah. for whom would relegation be most damaging? It's a good question, Becca. I'm going to give you two for the price of one. I'm going to talk about Bournemouth, who finished 14th last season, and Burnley, who finished 15th. Because I think they're two clubs who would start to feel they're part of the established Premier League pack now. They've been in the, in, in the league for four and five years, respectively. They've got good managers who've proven their worth at, at this level. They've got quality players who would now believe they're Premier League players. They may be come from the Championship, but they've had, they're on Premier League money. They've got a Premier League stadiums. And if they were to, get, to go down, those players wouldn't see themselves as Championship players. 
I think they'd, be, they'd almost be a bailout and, and they'd want to leave the football club. So for two teams who would start the season with their pre-season talk maybe about getting into Europe, for them to go down I think would be hugely damaging. And the two longest-serving managers mm. in the Premier League as well and Sean Dyche and Eddie Howe, who do you give your vote for most damaging? So I'm, I'm going more on the financial side of it. Um, and West Ham United and Aston Villa, two for the price of one again, have spent a lot of money, Rebecca, um, trying to establish themselves as Premier League sides. West Ham have been there, of course, a while now. They've just spent, uh, on Sebastian Allaire, $56 million. Now, when you spend that sort of money in the wages that West Ham and Aston Villa, Aston Villa, of course, bringing in so many players that sign to Villa because they think they're a Premier League side, relegation would be a massive risk. Now, you could argue that they've got a lot of good players, those two clubs, and they're big enough to be able to handle it. And, and maybe rightly so, and maybe they stick with the current managers now. But if they don't bounce back up again with the parachute money they get from the Premier League, then you're in a situation where there's players that are, that are going to be wanting to wanting to leave the football club and go somewhere else. The players they've got as well, I would say, in both of these football clubs, I would argue, are not really ready for a fight in the championship. And that, again, would make it a big risk if those technical players of Lanzini's, uh, Felipe Anderson's and a few others, even some of the Villa players, you're going to lose a lot of those that won't want to stomach the fight to stay in the championship. Those two clubs, great clubs, will be in trouble, I think. OK, come May, the bottom three will be established at the end of the season. Who will you be most surprised at seeing in that relegation zone? It's got to be West Ham. West Ham United, Mama Pellegrini, lots of good players. I've just said about Allaire coming for $56 million. The technical football is underneath him. Declan Rice, Mark Noble, good defenders. I, I honestly thought that with that setup of manager and players, they could have a really good season, maybe challenge for the top six. Of course, I was way wrong with that. And they'd still be, for me, you know, them going down, given the resources, given the time in the Premier League, given the new stadium, given the revenues of that. It'd be a huge surprise to go down. Who would be your biggest surprise? Two for the price of one, Bournemouth and Burnley. And I'm going both, both teams again. You've talked about it, Rebecca. Established English managers who've been at the club a long time. Clubs that would feel they know their way around the Premier League now can find enough wins and, and get out of trouble. And almost the issue for me being with both these clubs is the motivation. When, when you've been a Premier League player, and Robbie and I have both been there, after four or five years, you, you, you kind of think, yeah, this is, this is my level now. And... Each season you start, it kind of becomes a little bit more difficult to motivate yourself because you're not going to win the league. You will believe you're not going to go down. So what's the drive? Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't you argue that both there? of those clubs could, could stick together, batten down the hatches and find a way to bounce back again? It would be less damaging for those two. I, I, I'm not too sure, Rob. I, I think now when you've been in the Premier League for four or five years, you're on Premier League money. Stoke City are quite a good example of a team that was similar yeah. situation. They went down. Yeah, they're Sunderland struggling well. to stay in the championship. Yeah. yeah, Sunderland as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. OK, gentlemen, thank you. We're going to talk. Oh, yeah, we're going to do <laughs> it. About VAR. Mark, you have five ideas on how to improve VAR, whether it's immediately or in the coming months or in the summer when IFAB can change some rules. So, point number one, we're going to go through them step by step and the guys are going to challenge, uh, disagree or agree. Remove offside decisions from the VAR process. We touched on this yesterday morning pre-game, Mark, you and I, uh, but for those who didn't see it, just expand on how this would happen, when this would happen in your own ideal world and why you think this should happen. It could be dropped now. We've seen too many situations this season where we've had a toenail, we've had an armpit offside, and that's not what, you know, the benefit of the doubt used to be with the attacker. So therefore, we used to create more goal-scoring opportunities and more goals. Now we're seeing more goals being chalked off unfairly. So either we change the law, which can't happen now, that'll have to be done in the summer, mm. or we'll let the assistant referees go back to what they were good at. Over the years, when I was a referee in the Premier League, they were outstanding in offsides. The accuracy rate was well into the high 90s. So therefore, why did VAR need to interfere with the offsides in the Premier League? But shouldn't Mark VAR almost help this situation, be the first thing to help this? Because it's a matter of fact. You're either on or you're off. So you're ahead of somebody or not. So shouldn't it be helping in some respect? Or is it more the technology or the, the, the rule that's the problem? The technology's brought to precision. It's too matter-of-fact where... When you looked at stills over the years, you would have just had a quick look, oh, that looks onside. So therefore, we accepted that it was onside. Now, because we're going, we're using 3D technology, we're using lines, we're now looking at the, the finest millimetres, and that's not what VR was for. Yeah, but, VR was minimum, you know, it was minimum interference, maximum. 
output, and at the moment, it's, it's the opposite way. But surely, over the last few years, offside's been the area where the most mistakes and biggest mistakes are being made with VAR. If you're going to bring in technology to help the referees, isn't, mm-hmm. isn't the offside part of it got to be integrated? It's, it's easy to say, forget about it, but isn't that where most of the issues mm-hmm. come from? So therefore, one of my recommendations would be, in the summer, change the law. Mm. So... Mm. Where, when in the past it was the benefit of the doubt to the attacker, yeah. now it's gone back to the defender, so mm-hmm. that's why we're getting less goals. Players are always in the Premier League. It's one of the most unique leagues in the world where attackers play right off mm. the defender's shoulder. It happens all the time. Aguero, when I was in the Premier League, always played on the last shoulder. So therefore, they're taking gambles. Yeah. And this is why we're looking at the millimetres. So if we use the feet is the, is the point, it can mm-hmm. be drawn right across all grassroots level of football. Yeah. The feet is the offside. We draw a line to the feet... And therefore, that's mm. the decision. So the benefit of the doubt still can be with the attacker. Would you like that? Feet? Yeah, the, I'm the in for feet, yeah. You're in for feet? You're in for feet? Yeah, okay, well, that, as you say, can't happen until the summer because mm. IFAB, who make the rules and change the rules, um, can't do that until the end of the season. So that's an interesting one. So take mm. it off or change the law. Okay, point number two of how to improve VAR. What is clear and obvious? We need to define that far better, says Mark. Expand for us. I'm struggling to understand it now. I looked at the start of the season and the Premier League came out with a statement that they're going to have a high, high bar. They're going to set the level so high that it's going to be very rarely used VAR. But actually, I've seen changes. Sometimes they've lowered the bar, sometimes they're raising the bar, and that's causing too many inconsistencies. So what is clear and obvious can be different from one person to the other, a different VAR, because it's not the same VAR doing each... Each match, but how do, you, how do you try and clear that up? How do you define that? Isn't it grey? Just a grey yeah. area? I think It's subjective, right? It's yeah. human. Very subjective. But it'll only get better over time. I think it's the, it's the definition of clear and obvious. We're seeing decisions where they're not, in my opinion, clear and obvious. When I watch... And, then, and we used to meet, that's the problem, isn't it? In your yeah, opinion. In your opinion it, yeah. How can you further define clear and obvious? You can't because it's everybody's a got their different, so a different clear and opinious, opinion. It's different from my clear yeah. and obvious. But I think it's, if, if it's opinion, then mm. it should just stay with the on-field decision. Right. Okay. So therefore, if yeah. a referee makes a decision, mm. therefore, and we're both arguing yes, no, yeah. that's mm. where football was great. It was yeah. opinionated sport. When it's clear, and every referee, we used to sit every two weeks in St George's as referees, and we used to discuss clips. And the majority of time would agree. That's, yeah. a, that's a clear penalty. Yeah. So therefore, if, that, if we're all agreeing as referees, mm. then that's it should be clear should be and obvious. Up. Yeah. So, so some people might argue that take it out, take clear and obvious out. Is that something you'd be interested in? Then, of course, you might get into re-refereeing. Every decision gets re-refereed. Was it a penalty? Was it not? You still like the idea of clear and obvious in the, in the VAR protocol? Yeah, we've got to, they've got to have some sort of guidelines what, when they're going to interfere and when they're not going to interfere. The words clear and obvious should be that everybody in the world says that's a penalty, mm. that's an act of simulation. So the bar for you has to be high. incredibly high for VAR to get involved to overturn a mm. decision. And it was in the World Cup. Right, so the yeah. bar basically needs to be higher. Yeah. Is, is maybe a better Raising way. And a better understanding for everyone. Yeah. Yes, Consistency. Okay. The higher the bar, super high, mm. and, that make, and keep it super high no matter yeah. what, and that reduces mm. the interference, maximum impact when they do come in, and it keeps it consistent. Okay, yeah. point number three, Mark, of your five... This is interesting. Good luck with this for these two. Allow the captains two challenges per match. Why do you think that would work? It would take the ownership away from the referee. So therefore, what's clear and obvious wouldn't need to be defined. So if we're, if we're looking at the captain, they know, and I, when I was refereeing in the Premier League, players knew. They, they taught you sometimes when you, you had a feeling it may be a foul, maybe a red card. You had a feeling. You didn't see it correctly. Players would tell you. By the reaction, they know when they see a bad challenge. So therefore, captains, if they had the ownership, a bit like other sports, it happens in other sports. They're allowed to make the challenges and puts the ownership back to back to the to the captains. And people say to me, they might misuse that. Mm. I don't think they will. I don't think they will because they know that if they use the two challenges up, they can't use it when they may need it. Yes or no? No, no, absolutely no. I mean, that's what you're there for. That's what referees yeah, are there yeah, for. You, about you, taking responsibility away from yeah. the referees. That's what you're absolutely. there for. There's things absolutely. that players have to think about yeah. and do in the game. Yeah. And then a captain's got to be thinking about, oh, hey, Should Rob, I challenge was that, this was that, did you yeah, catch him yeah, there? I mean, yeah. I, I just think that would be that yeah. would be crazy. You might see tactical stuff. You, you use them up and then something People, really bad happens. Then a bad error goes and, and, and then you get punished for that. The I just one think thing that's you really know difficult. footballers is they'll find a way to, to make the use of, the, of, of those challenges well. They're always looking for an angle. I just It just feels... Like, it, you're in charge. 
world, you run the game. It's an interesting idea. It's been mooted mm. many times. I think it's probably the most unlikely idea yeah. to be installed. Mm. Um, but it's still an interesting concept that yeah. does definitely work in other sports. Cricket, for example, and many others as well. OK, point number four. Sorry, we had to close that one down. No. If one sees to decide, now it's another one. <laughs> Referees must now, this is interesting, mm. must start using pitch side monitors to make their own call on subjective decisions. Yet to see a referee in the Premier League go to the pitch side monitor. We did see Michael Oliver, I think it was, in the yeah. FA Cup yeah. last weekend go. You think that would be better? Why? It would be quicker to but make it, to decisions? But it's in IFAB's protocol. When everybody started using VAR around the world, that was one of the, the, the areas that you had to do. The, basically, the VAR informs the referee that he, he believes he's made a clear and obvious error. Mm. And therefore, the referee should go to the pitch side monitor, have a look, mm. and make his final decision. Not mm. the VAR. Premier League is the, most, it's, it's the only league in the world that actually does that. And I know why they're doing it. Mm. Because they're scared that the Premier League, when I was a referee, it was the fastest league in the world. Yeah. By far the fastest league in the world. So therefore, they don't want a referee so to go to the pitch side monitor yeah. regularly to check the but decision. But yeah, yesterday when we were watching one of the games, there was a two-minute delay, minutes, which I can't yeah. remember which game it was. Bamiyang. It was, Bamiyang. was it Bamiyang? That's yeah. right. And it would have been so much quicker had the ref just gone and double-checked. Oh, yeah. actually, you know what? Yeah, I'll let you my own decision. You guys would agree with that? Absolutely. 30 seconds, you know, you know the decision. I, I would say that I've changed my mind on this because at the start of it, I thought, you know what, I can't like it. Instead of him going across there, running across, and everybody, everybody's thinking, looking at him, looking at the screen, it's a quick message. If it's clear and obvious, listen, whoever it is, the referee, that's an error, point to the spot, it's a penalty. And I thought that would be quicker. And that's what, when we spoke to them at Stocky Park, that's the theory. But I think owning the decision, being consistent on when they overturn it, it, it feels more right now that the referee on the field has a chance to say, you know what, I'll have another look. No, I'm OK with that. And, and I think it'd be quicker and it just feels better i think as well by not going over it almost feels a little bit like we're getting re-refereed situations another referee var's yeah. looking at it and sometimes re-refereeing and making his decision mm. and, and we're not getting that clear and obvious on on the decision on the pitch referees on the pitch being undermined at times mm, yeah. um the final point in your five Get the referees wearing live microphones and make the audio available to all inside the stadium and watching at home. We might have to have a bleep button to get that for TV. But you would be OK with that, Mark, because then the communication simply in ensures everybody in the stadium primarily understands what's going on. Yeah. We can't have, we can't have the people watching it on TV getting the information before people in the stadium. Because the people in the stadium are creating the atmosphere. Yeah. They're creating... So, therefore, it has to be the same. Mm. And the only way you can do that is be completely transparent. Why not? We're in a transparent world. Mm. A referee now can easily open his microphone up. The VAR is in a nice air-conditioned office in Stockley Park, so, therefore, he's in a clean environment. Mm. The referee can open his microphone in a controlled, in front of the pitch-side monitor, and let everybody see the footage on the TV and in the stadiums and allow the conversation, and people can then understand. Oh. Yeah, but they can understand the thought process, yeah. because at the moment, yeah. one of the frustrations is, I don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at a handball. Mm. But allow us to... And then what you're doing is you're educating also the people. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. saying to you, that's a handball, for example, yeah. Declan Rice yeah, on Friday, yeah, yeah. I can Definitely. explain the law, why yeah. it was given. Yeah. It's an accidental handball, yeah. yes. Mm. Accidental was taken out the law mm -hmm. in June, but he's gained an advantage. Any chance of that happening, do you think? I think they will. I think the Do Premier you? League will be one of the first because they want wow. to, they want oh, to be the be first to, well, to, to show people that they are transparent. It's interesting you say the Premier League and one of the first because I think the game, the biggest change in the game since the start of the season is that two or three minutes when the VAR is going on and everyone in the stadium doesn't know what's going on. It's like the whole atmosphere yeah. in the stadium changed. And that's not good for the Premier League because no. it's not a good sense of what's going on and, and people are confused. I, I, I love the idea. I absolutely love the idea, as you're saying, to educate everybody else. It's just the bleeping machine with players coming around you. It's bleep, but it's bleep. going to be in a control. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be in a control because the pitch side monitor is controlled. You so maybe talk. only when he's over in the pitch monitor. Yeah. And keep players so that would encourage him yeah. going to the pitch monitor. Players are not allowed to go anywhere near him, otherwise he'll get yellow card. Yeah. Raising up his microphone, telling the world, telling the stadium what he's hearing, what he's thinking, what he's seeing, and the rules of why he's made a decision. Yeah. All right, Mark Clattenberg, really no, interesting. Nice work. Nice I think work. that was four out of five as a mm. yes. Robbie Musto. Watford were in the bottom three. <clears throat> they were bottom of the table for four months. They changed their manager... Now look at them. Mm. The question is going to have to be asked, 
as to Eddie Howe's position? What is the yeah. best way forward for Bournemouth right mm. now? Well, for me, it's to keep this guy. I think you make a change now. It's a huge risk. The risk of staying up, of course, is fantastic. But what if Bournemouth go down? And is that, is that manager going to stay on? I still think for this particular football club, and I, and I totally get that when I look at this performance, when I look at the body language of the team and the players, they look done. But it's a tiny club that's come so far. They're still growing at the background. There's a new training ground. And I, I just think it would be a huge gamble to, to, to get rid of Eddie Howe now uh, and risk this club never seeing the Premier League again. Should he be fireproof? No. You asked us this question three, four weeks ago about being fireproof. No, Rebecca. And be, if he is fireproof... Despite the fact that what he has done for this club, I, Robbie. Listen, I get that and I totally understand that. But maybe being fireproof is leading to some of the performances that we've seen today. This was a relegation six-pointer, one of the biggest club games in the club's history, and they didn't turn up. Watford were comfortable winners in a game when... I remember the vitality when Manchester United went there, I think, in the first season they were there. The place was jumping. There was a spirit and an atmosphere. Today, you saw a team that looked like they'd given up, Rebecca. There, there was a time when the players were dispirited. They were looking across to the sideline, and all they saw was Eddie Howe saying, come on, come on. I mean, don't clubs, you, don't clubs you go give... through a, and managers go through a cycle. And I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm saying the next month he's got to find some right, results. Right, right. Surely, if, if there is a thought about changing, you've got to give him every possibility Correct. to find Absolutely. the right way now. The next three games, yeah. Norwich away, Brighton at home, Aston Villa at home. Mm. There's your month, probably. I Does mean, he that, win them? Does he, if he wins them, fine, Rob. If he loses them, though, those, those are the games, the points that you've got to pick up. Yeah, I still, for me, I, I'm sticking with him. For the longevity of this football club, I still, I still think that's a big, big call to make. If you owned Bournemouth, would you stick with him today, tomorrow? I'm having conversations, Rebecca. I'm starting to think about it. You're starting to think about it, but for now... For now, he, stay, he stays. You know Eddie Howe so well. How is he at the moment? How is he kind of suffering? Because obviously he's, he's seen it all at this club. It's one win in 11, and as you say, confidence is low. Yeah, um, it's difficult to tell you his emotions. Um, I, I, obviously very, very disappointed in the team. Um, very eager to, to change things. It's very, it's very difficult when you're... When every player in, in the squad is is below par, well below par. Um, like I say, we, we started the game okay. It was it was very edgy. It was all about the first goal. And they've scored it, and then balls start falling to them rather than us. Um, players we start playing backwards, and you know, uh, and then the game the, the game's lost. We we were miles off at second half, and. Um, something needs to change. I don't know how we're going to do it, but um, if we don't do it quickly, we're going to find ourselves uh, out of this league. Eddie, commiserations. Just how and where did it get away from you today? Probably with the first goal. I think I think it was a big shift. Up until then, it was two quite even teams, nip and tuck. Not a lot in it. Not a lot of goal mouth action. Um, and then we conceded the goal in the second half was a lot more difficult. I think psychologically we we dipped. They rose with their goal and the confidence that that gave them. And then second half, yeah, as I say, was difficult. Where does the responsibility lie for conceding the goal in the way you did? Um, probably in our, our endeavour to do the right thing. I'm not going to sit here and, and blame anybody. That's never how I've worked. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to um, play the game that we know how to play. We just haven't executed it very well. We saw you try to play the game you want to play today, but did nerves have a factor on it? Yeah, I think confidence, whether nerves or whatever, however you want to bracket it, I think confidence is such a, a key thing. We've been on a, a really difficult run. We've seen, even this week, seen a couple of players, again, key players get injured. We've got players, again, playing today that aren't 100% fit. And I think when then something goes wrong and you get a setback like conceding the first goal, we're not able at the moment to lift ourselves and respond in the way that we normally would. So there's no excuses. You, you can't duck away from the fact that's not good enough but uh, I think that's the reason You did make changes early in the second half in midfield at that point at 1-0 how did you see a way back? Well difficult with the, with the bench we have because we don't have an array of attacking players on there they're the, the, the players that we have fit so we went for a change in midfield dynamic just to try and lift us really and we didn't have control of the game in that moment so that was what we were looking to do It's that classic situation though isn't it where you're just not scoring enough and conceding too many what can you do about it? Yeah, that is uh, that's obviously the worst um, worst thing for us at the moment. We're not looking like we're free scoring, and I think that 
in turn, when you can see the goal, it looks a long way back when you're not um, in the moment you need to be from an attacking sense. So we need to focus on both disciplines. You can't focus on one more than the other. Um, this week we've worked on our attacking play and try and be in a real threat. It didn't really show in the game, and that's a disappointing thing. Eddie, of course the players have to take responsibility themselves for the results, for the recent form. But as manager, how can you affect change? What must you do to affect change? Now, always the manager, I think, has to take responsibility. When things aren't going well, um, I'm not afraid to do that. I've done that historically. Um, and we're in the moment where, again, I have to do the same. So uh, instilling change and giving confidence back to the players is my job. That's what I've got to try and do. Four of your next five games now are against teams around you in the table. Could this run now, given the form you're in, make or break your season? Yeah, I think the, the next group of games always defines, I think, your season. I think we're in that place where we need a result very quickly. Uh, very easy to look at fixture lists and say, well, th this is a, a winnable group of games. Everyone was saying that this was a, a winnable game for us. It's only winnable if you approach it in the right way and deliver what you want. Unfortunately, today we didn't deliver the performance we needed. Eddie, appreciate your time. Thank you. Interesting there, he said that the game got away from them, the first goal, when they tried to play out of the back. And Robbie Musto, he said we were trying to do the right thing. We know that Eddie Howe wants yeah. to play football, in his words, quote, the right way. Yeah. When you were watching that, you, were th you said, I'm not sure that no, was not. the right thing, actually. It wasn't the right thing at that time, at this place in the league, against a team that have been high-pressing. With now, that keeper? With the keeper who's been experienced. So, I get it. We all know what he means by that. He wants to play out from the back, and that's his philosophy. But at some point, he can't be rigid stuck to that because that wasn't the right situation. If he and his team did their homework, they'd realise that Watford have been getting a lot of success with those front players pressing the ball, winning the ball and scoring goals. That was a mistake and Eddie Howe has to take responsibility for that. Do you think if Eddie Howe had to go down doing the right thing, he'd go down? Because that is a kind of worry, Rob, that, 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 that I worry that, that he... He's such a, got such a, a pure football philosophy, Rebecca, and, and the players you've seen Steve Cook there look, look, look shattered. It's almost as, as though he's going to continue doing the same things and they'll go but into what's those, different those next games. What's different right now? What's different right now is his front players aren't scoring. Nobody's oh, they scored can't defend, goals. Either. They can't defend. But, but they've never been able to defend. They've always been poor defensively, but I've got the goals to get out of it and to score goals to climb the league table. That's where the difference is this season. They aren't scoring the goals. So Sergio Aguero and Manchester City moving into second spot above Leicester now, but still 14 mm. points behind league leaders Liverpool. Robbie, what did you learn from that game, from either perspective today? Well, learn. Um, I think we already knew that City can play great football. They press the ball brilliantly well and there was brilliant assists and finishing. But I, didn't, I guess I didn't really learn that. I learned that I think Aston Villa should do more than that. We know that City are great, but it shouldn't be as easy as that. And I know they've got injured, the injuries to the main players, Wesley the striker, Tom Heaton and John McGinn. Very important parts of different areas of the field. I would like to have seen Dean Smith try something a little bit different. Like try, and be a, well, try and be a little bit more direct. For, for their other game, they tried to play through City. What is City good at? They're good at winning the ball back in good areas. That happens so many times. They did play with two players up front, which is a bit of a luxury when you don't have the ball. Well, play to them a little bit more. I mean, listen, it probably doesn't change your result, but give City a little bit more to worry about. And they've got to run back at times because of a longer ball instead of playing into their hands um, and trying to play through them. So a bit disappointed. I expected a little bit more from Villa. Rob? It was a bit of a non-event in, in a way, Rebecca. Yeah, all the fans turn up. It's back-to-back -back champions. You know, it's Aston Villa. Yes, we might get beat, but have a go. It was almost as though Villa sat there and said to Manchester City, do what you want and, and we'll just sit there. Sometimes, make a tackle. Get your body and let them at least know you're around. Make it, get some physicality. Get a little bit of spirit going. And, and today wasn't about whether Villa will stay up. They've got games against Brighton, Watford and Bournemouth. Those are the days. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't just switch on and off like that. You don't all of a sudden say, OK, now, now we're playing the team at the bottom. You've got to get habits in rhythm. Well, that's my question, because the spirit, if they could have conjured some up, would have set a tone mm. going into their next game, which is, as you say, away at Brighton, Robbie. So mm. it's about... I mean, yeah, you're going to lose 6-1, but... So have some spirit to take into the next game. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's a 6-1 just on that, Rebecca. Training now this week is horrible. Mm. You, you'll go through the video tomorrow. Everybody's feeling it down. Spirits are down. And the, the next game is the most important game because those three points could be huge in, in them trying to stay in the league. Yeah, I've got to, just got to regroup a little bit, rally up a little bit. You said the games are coming up. A game is against teams that are in and around them. This is the time. This is the nitty-gritty now. We've gone through the festive fixtures. Now they settle down. Do they want to be in, in March, April with a run with a relegation fight or do they want to do a Southampton? 
and get a few wins on the mm. spin and get away from it. Well, maybe this could be that, that result that Southampton yeah. suffered against Leicester. Yeah. Could this be the turning point for Aston Villa? We shall see. Nigel, how big a result is that for you today? It's a very big result. Um, a great win. Uh, and I think one that the players worked very hard to, to secure. And um, so, again, it's another very positive step in the right direction for us. We had to work exceptionally hard for it um, just because there were times that we didn't um, play as well with the ball as we would like, but you've got to give Bournemouth some credit for that. It was a, side, it was a game that both sides were trying to uh, get a positive outcome from. So, um, I mean, it, it's we run away comfortable in the end, but um, it was a it was a game that we had to fight and protect our goal, you know, with a lot of resilience as well. Three straight wins for Nigel Pearson and Watford, unbeaten in five now in the Premier League. Robbie Musto, are they safe? Yeah. They're, they're a point above the bottom three. They're, they're, they're in a false position. They were in a false position. They're way better than being at the bottom of this league table. They're a mid-table team. We saw it today. Miles better than Bournemouth Football Club. Better forward players, better midfield players, better defenders. Now they've got a manager that's, sh- that's shaken them enough to say, come on, you lot, because they're better than where they were. And all the way through these last few weeks, we see what for where they are, we see the manager changes. I've still believed in this squad and the players that they've got that they can go on a run of games and get out of it. Of course, they've still got work to do. They could be in again next weekend. But when you see the game today, Rob, and you see the difference of a Bournemouth team struggling, but just the quality, the size, the physicality, the, 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 just the way that they look today were way above Bournemouth. Agree. Yeah, um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they're out of it, Rebecca. I just think that you've just got to be careful. We've seen managers in the past go and have good runs and then a slump comes in and you kind of drop back again. So that's important. I don't think Nigel will, will let that happen. It was interesting to say, I think Ben Foster, after the game, said, we've now got a manager instead of a coach. And, and, and when we used to play, we used to always say, the gaffer, the guy in charge of the football club, somebody who's a leader, somebody who's a motivator, somebody you want to play for, somebody who brings a spirit to the, to the group. Nigel Pearson has brought that to Watford and that's the thing that's going to give them the biggest opportunity of staying in the league. We saw a shot at the end of the highlights of Jeff Mostyn, the chairman of Bournemouth, Mm -hmm. watching on after that defeat. What do you think he's thinking in his home tonight? That he's hoping he doesn't have to go down a road where he has to make a phone call to Eddie Howe and say, our time has come to, to part ways. I think he's going to give Eddie as much opportunity as he can. But my slight worry, Rebecca, is that whatever Eddie Howe says and does going into that dressing room might not be having the effect. He might have hit that, and then we, we call it the cycle. Like Pochettino like at Spurs. Like Pochettino at Spurs, like Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. At some point, Eddie Howe and this football club are not going to be together. Now, I'm not saying... I, I would love to see Eddie Howe come through this. I think he'll be a better coach for it, and I think he'll be, he'll be a better manager. One thing I would like him to do is look at the people who work with him. Jason Tyndale's is num- number two. Been with him for a long time. I'm not sure how he is. Sometimes stimulus, stimulate yourself and your team. Bring somebody else in. Work differently. Train differently. Somebody have a different voice in the dressing room. All those things are the things that get you up as a player and start you off again. Because at the moment, the way they're going, they're heading to the championship. That's one thing. Maybe mix up his backroom staff. What else is he not doing well enough for you, Eddie Howe? It's, it's the motivational part of it. And that's the, the really disappointing and worrying part of it. It's the nature. And we, of course, it's something that's always said. The nature of the defeat today was worrying. The nature of his body language, where we see him staring into the ground thinking, you know, what's going on here? He's one win away from getting out of the bottom three. And we know that the next three games, Norwich, Brighton and Villa. So they can totally do it. There's 16 games left of a Premier League season. they look like We're talking, they well, they don't. And that's why we're having this conversation, yeah. because they look so down and, and out a little bit. But there's a long way to go, Rob. They've got players to come back from injury, which he's talked about and we all know about. Um, and there's plenty of time for this guy to turn it around. But you're right, shake up something, mm-hmm. whether it's coaching or whether it's philosophy-based or something, because he's got to arrest this kind of plummet towards the bottom of the league table. The worry, Rebecca, is today was a six-point lob. Today was the big game. Everyone was talking about Watford versus Bournemouth. Yeah. And you didn't get a reaction. We wanted desperation. You didn't get a, yeah, I wanted to see who they are. They might not have been good enough, but sometimes give me all the effort, mm. give me all the thing, lose 1-0, 2-0, but have a go. But we didn't see that. I mean, from what we read, he's trying to beef up the motivation. He's put mm. photos on the players' lounge walls of the great moments that he has managed and that the players have experienced. He has taken them to a boxing gym this week to try and change things up. He's clearly... Well, that- 
trying to think out of the box, but... All very nice, all the things that people will tell you. But as a player, Rebecca, it's out on the football pitch. When I'm out there, it changes. Okay, so how does he motivate them? If if things like that don't work, how... You're you're saying he needs... This team needs motivation. Mm. Tell me the best manager that ever motivated you. How did he do it? Joe Kinnear. How? Would challenge me. By? Would challenge me. He'd say to me... We play Manchester United. Pauline's going to run all over you today. I'm worried about you. Da, da, da. He motivated me because he knew me as a player. He knew how to push my button. So I'd say, Pauline's ain't going to run all over me. And I'd have a battle with Pauline and we might nick a, a 1-1 draw. And he'd come back and go, ah, you good lad. He knew how to get the best of me. He knew what my challenges were. He knew individually and collectively how to get the best from the group. Eddie Howe's got to do a similar thing. He's got to get Sam, uh, Simon Francis, Steve Cook, Nathan Arke, taking responsibility. So when his young keeper's going to play out the back, they go, no, no, no. Let's get up the field and let's get into the opposition half and let, not let Watford win a ball and get themselves 1-0 up. He's got to speak to Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Individually, he's got to get into these players and get some more from them. I mean, Callum Wilson, what has happened to him mm-hmm. as a striker? Nothing today. Very few touches in the game. Ryan Fraser was so good last year. There was talk about his contract coming to an end, which is another whole part of things that, that gets affected as well and affects the team performance. Harry Wilson's been brought on the right-hand side. Um, they do need players back from injury, but I, but I agree. Individually, can he get into some certain players yeah. that might just spark a better team performance? From what you know of him, from what you've seen of him over the past five years in the Premier League, do you think he can do that? Well, mostly yes, because we've seen it before, Rebecca. This is the worst I've seen it. And this is the worst I've seen the body language. And the worst I've seen the atmosphere at their stadium with the fans Booing. and some ways the manager and some ways the players saying we're reaching the end of this little project. I hope not. And he has done well before. But this is certainly the most I think we've been worried about Bournemouth staying in the Premier League. Mark Clattenberg joins us in the studio. We've already... Rinsed him dry of VAR. So we're going to take a break from VAR, Mark. And actually, we've got, all got a couple of questions for you. The first one from me. We're going to take advantage of everything that you've done in the game. We saw going to break 15 years ago. Over that now, you refereed your first Premier League match. Let's say you lived in the North East, in Newcastle. Let's say if you were, say, refereeing a game at Old Trafford, talk us through what a match day would look like, starting from, say, the Friday, when you leave for the game, and then how it all pans out from your eyes. We never just used to start on a Friday. Like, you used to prepare exactly like a, like a player did. You would train every day. I used to do a lot of analysts, like, look at how teams would set up at corners, attacking free kicks, because that would try and help me best way to stand, try and find out any trends, what, for example, defenders are doing to attackers, attackers are doing to defenders, maybe blocking to create a chance. To, mm. Because what I wanted to do was try and solve everything. So I would do all my, my work during the week, prepare myself physically and mentally, and then... I would travel down on a Friday, always, try and get down always the night before because you can never, with the weather, Mm. traffic Mm. problems, so I would always be there the night before the game. I did like three o'clock. I hated half fives because it it was like a longer day and I certainly hated the early kickoffs because it used to affect how you prepared. I don't know what you guys were like as players, but even just like eating times, Mm. it never felt right. You were not getting the right food in prior to a match where I would always have a breakfast and I would always have a snack before a three o'clock. So I was all fueled up, ready, ready. But the early kickoffs, I never felt right. And what else did you do during the morning of a game? Let's say you're doing a three o'clock kickoff, you have your breakfast. And yeah. then would you and the line, linesman go for a little walk? Yeah, little we'd, jog? We'll have a little huddle. Little huddle, <laughs> <laughs> No, we would always just try and have breakfast together. And okay. just, not always just chat about the game, but the way I used to, I had a team. Because I, when I was going for the Euros and the Champions League mm-hmm. final, I had a, a set team. So it was good for me. So I had the same guys... But I used to take their mind away from football. I used to try and talk about their families, their lives. So mm-hmm. we'd become more friends. So I could trust them. They'd give me everything right. back in return. So when it came to the maybe an hour and a half before the game, when we got the team sheets or when you know, we're, we're at the stadium, that's when the match time started. That's when we got the, mm-hmm. the serious side of it and talk about the, the game itself. OK, then the game happened. And you probably made a few stinkers. No, I'm just kidding. Well, interestingly, then you leave the ground. Yeah. Obviously, half an hour, an hour after the after the game, you drive yourself home, and yeah, then that's, that's the hardest. That's the hardest journey, because no matter what's happened. No, because you're just not sure if it's done. There's well ga- game. There's games where, where you certainly you don't know what's. You haven't got the the, the video footage, mm-hmm. so a lot of it is via social media or mm-hmm. friends or. You had an assessor come in, an ex-player would come in and talk about your performance. So it was the hardest thing driving home knowing you've made a mistake or a potential mistake because 
you're dying to get home to, to watch the footage to mm. find out why I'd made the mistake. But driving home, there's many times I, I can't remember the journey because the game's playing around in your head and mm. how, how could I have done it better? What could I have done different? And no referee ever wants to come off a game and think, you know, I've made a mistake. Mm. But it happens. It's life. It's human. Just very quickly, on the way home, if you want to stop for it to get a drink and you go into a service no, station, highway, never. no <laughs> never. support. No, never. no. Don't want to come face to face with any of those never. fans. <laughs> Robbie uh, Mark, I'm interested in like, the context of games. And, and we saw today like Bournemouth playing Watford, bottom of the table, relegation fight, players probably on edge. Do you... Take that into consideration. Does that affect the way that you'd referee a game? And vice versa, two top teams with the top quality players, Man City are playing Liverpool. Does that affect how you, you, you maybe address the games? Yeah, definitely. Derby games, mm. you've got to address them differently. There's passion, you know. And so you what, give a little bit more leeway. Of course you do. It's also, when you've got a, like today, Bournemouth, you yeah. know, they're under big pressure. Yeah. They're probably being wound up. And mm. there's, there's even spells in the game, you know, like Mike Dinler prepared just after half time, he'll know Bournemouth will be fired up because mm. Eddie Howell will have yeah. got into his place. So mm. you are more, more mentally aware, and it's, it's important that you know, you're prepared. So for example, you, you, you want to make sure that you know, the things like you know, if a player maybe is causing a problem, you want to have a quiet word by giving them a yellow card could have the, the other Wrong effect. effect. Yeah, yeah, so you've yeah. got to be careful how you manage your games. And the best referees are the ones that have got the big experience because players will trust them more. Mm. Robbie. So my question, I need an honest answer here, Mark. Oh. <laughs> the referee, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I just, when I used to play, even watching the game, when the, when you're refereeing a game at a big stadium and the home fans cheer for something, have you been, or do you think other referees get influenced by that? For example, Luis Suarez, you're doing a Liverpool game, you're at Anfield, he gets a contact on him in the box, and the, and the cop go crazy. Even subconsciously, has it affected you or other referees in that? And try and just no, shake in your head. No, because referees, you know, they've got psych. We, we used to use psychologists a lot. So you are better prepared. And, and I've been to some of the biggest stadiums in the world. So I probably had better experience of it. And you do, you block it out. And actually, some of the biggest stadiums, you don't hear much. It's like a dull sound. It's the ones where... When I was growing, going through the systems, people, when there was 100 people yeah. in the stadium, you'd actually hear the, the person speak. So that was probably more hurtful. Mm. Um, but when you, when you do go to the big stadiums, you know, it, it's probably the same for a player. When you're in yeah. big games, you do, your energy levels mm. rise because you, you're conscious. But it doesn't, influence your, it doesn't influence you blowing the whistle when you hear a big home roar for something. No, definitely not. It never, it never affects us. But what certainly in big games or any games, when a referee does something good, like play a good advantage, mm. it does give you an amazing... Sub- and I've seen some referees giving it the old fist bump. So it does give you... It does give you but no, subcontinent, it, never, it right. never affects us. Unless I was at St James's Park, of course. <laughs> and that's a whole other story. Listen, Mark, it's been so good having you this weekend to talk VAR, to talk all about this, about your life as well. We know you're working in China right now. We do miss you in the Premier League, but we're excited to have you back here on the set next time you come back to see us. So thank you so much. Big thanks to Mark Clattenberg. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. I'm Rebecca Lowe. Bye for now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.